Oops. <laughs> Blow it down. <laughs> Hello there. My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for This Means War. I am joined by Christian McDonald. It's Steve. <laughs> and with a This Means War tagline, Kelly Wand. It's Killers meets Bride Wars with the dash of Cocoon to the return, but minus the edge. Uh, all right. So we have all seen This Means War. We are going to spoil it for you very shortly. But before we do, don't leave. Don't leave just yet because uh, we have some stuff in store for you. In case Temptation's you overpowering. Hang in there. Uh, Dingus, what is what is This Means War? What 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 did we see this week again? Actually, this week we saw two movies, Scrat's Continental Breakup and This Means War, both 2012 animated romantic comedy action movies about characters chasing a nut. (laughs) The movie is directed by Joseph McGinty-Nickel and written by Timothy Dowling and Simon Kinberg. It stars Reese Witherspoon, Tom Hardy, Chris Pine, Mm. Chelsea Handler, Mm. and Till Schweiger. This Means War was originally rated R for some sexual content, but turned out to be rated PG-13 for sexual content, including references, some violence in action, and for language. Mm. 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 (laughs) Uh, This Means War opened at number five. (laughs) I know. (laughs) That's good. That cheers me up a little. Suffice to say, it was beat by several movies. It, it did make a respectable $17 million, though, so I, I don't think anyone is necessarily too bummed out. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, however, which uh, gathers up all the reviews and decides what percentage of them are positive, on Rotten Tomatoes, 24% of the reviews for This Means War are positive. On Metacritic, where they gauge the relative rating, the average rating uh, of, of reviews, it's currently at 33%. So basically, Eight one point. in four people liked This Means War. And liked one-fourth of it. Everyone liked a quarter of it. Could be that. And uh, its average rating is right at the little, uh, the little one-third mark, for whatever that's worth. Now, Kelly Wand, let's get you in here to spoil it. Why don't you just tell everyone exactly and everything that happens in This Means War? Oh, you mean a This Means Warpsis? Yes. Awesome. Rock and roll. Um, by the way, I read in EW mm-hmm. that they're rebooting this franchise with Jeremy Renner playing all three leads. I would see it's that. Warpsis. <clears throat> Chris Pine plays a super spy named FDR because acronyms are street, huh, McGee? Although I think his spy name is Barry Goldwater. His best friend and partner, played by Tom Noonan, is named Husk or Tusk, so he doesn't need an alias. Although Husk is British, I think they're brothers or cousins since they have the same great-grandmother, Aunt May, who hassles FDR to have sex more and blames Tusk for ruining his marriage somehow. Then she dry humps an old man to, quote, show them how it's done. 
This is the longest sex scene in the movie, and horrifyingly, the least PG-13. Or rather, muck PG-13. She also has a saying that FDR likes to whip out a lot. There are no mistakes. Based on the motorcycle HUD shots from Terminator Salvation, I recall that McGee thinks mistake is spelled E-A-K. FDR and Tusk share the same office, boss, and surveillance videos of whichever girl they're stalking at any given moment. So you'd think sharing a girl for a week wouldn't mean war, but romantic comedies are all about people not fucking for 89 minutes. Considering their cases never take them outside L.A., FDR and Tusk are awesome spies. Not only do they not stick out in a crowd of sculpted, piercingly blue-eyed underwear models, they both know how to shoot ten people in five seconds on a helipad without spattering a single droplet of blood. Violence has no place in romantic comedies unless scrota are involved. FDR and Tusk also use the same names and cover stories for every mission. Huck's a travel agent, and FDR's the captain of a cruise ship. See, those occupations explain why they're always together. Their sinister but apparently dumbass Russian arch-nemesis Heimlich always falls for this shit. They kill Heimlich's little brother, no name given, at a random helipad gunfight, but not before the brother tears off FDR's underwear before falling off the roof. His body lands on a car that smashes into another car, while Heimlich, who luckily for some reason always wears a parachute, parachutes into the street and takes the underwear from his dead brother's non-bloody PG-13 fingers. McGee cuts away, but I presume Heimlich then staggers off down the street, dragging the parachute strings behind him downtroddenly. While the cops and passers-by slow clap, and FDR and Tusk watch from the lip of the skyscraper roof and don't give pursuit or call anybody. Although I thought they were field agents, FDR and Tusk also work at matching glass-top desks in the same office across from each other at the CIA, which isn't in Langley, but in Los Angeles. Since it's 2012, the stereotypical black superior who always yells at them is female. Either sex or race has come a long way in action movies, thanks to pioneering white dudes from Newport Beach named McGee. Tusk is lonely because his kid keeps getting the shit kicked out of him at karate class, although oddly two seconds later he has no marks on his face and his hair is not must. Tusk wants to get back together with his brunette ex-wife because he's still in love with how devoid of character traits she is, but since it's not the end of the movie yet, she doesn't like his handsome sweetness. The dad of the kid who punched his kid in the face slaps Tusk and mocks him in front of his son and says pain is weakness leaving his body. But Tusk just looks perplexed and doesn't hit him back because it's still not the end of the movie. Sidebar to McGee. I appreciate these efforts, but trust me, nothing could make me look forward to the end of this movie more than I already do. (laughs) While watching their Aunt May dry hump the old man's ghost from the innkeepers, Husk is sexily unhappy again. When FDR asks him why, he goes, everything we're doing right now, and FDR's all, you mean sitting next to each other watching an old woman dance? And Huss goes, yeah, imagine feeling all this but with a woman. But FDR's fallen asleep. Then one magical night while strangling a diplomat in his apartment, Husk sees something he's never seen before, a TV commercial for a dating site. By chance, FDR sees it too at that very same moment and also finds it absorbing, even though he already gets laid every night after trolling various nightclubs. But since this ad is on late-night television, Husk decides to let this dating site guide his romantic choices. He certainly doesn't have access to that kind of computing power at the CIA. 
the soulmate computer sets him up with Reese Witherspoon, an unattached, super good-looking blonde L.A. woman. Jackpot! Better still, she's not a superficial tramp like the ones he usually bags. She's a rare woman of elegance and substance. We know this because her job's doing product research for infomercials, like the one Husk just watched, through which she brokered her digits. But to be fair to the screenwriters, Reese Witherspoon's character is also in a Camaro's, both models and life-size, paintings by Dieter Laser, dogs, paintball, airbags, and uncomfortable-looking overly staged PG-13 sex poses. Her favorite Hitchcock film is Butch Cassidy. She celebrates every Friday night by having it on in the background with the sound down while she dances around in her PJs making popcorn. She doesn't even need to pause the movie or look at the screen. She loves it so much it's not necessary. Kind of like how much she loves story beats. FDR, like most competent undercover operatives, is recognized by every bartender, bouncer, and stewardess in L.A. on a first-letter basis. And because his job requires great concentration and a honed intellect, lives in a penthouse apartment under a very narrow glass swimming pool. It's so advanced, it automatically pixelates the bush and nipples of the supermodels his landlord pays to breaststroke above his kitchen every 12 seconds. FDR hits on Reese Witherspoon in a video store, but she spots him for a player and disses him by ignoring his recommendations. She refuses the DVD, hands her, and is all, Thanks, pretty boy, but I have a PhD in everything. And FYI, Tower Heist is a minor ratner. Her disinterest and prissiness intoxicate him, so he woos her by stalking her at work and making sex jokes in front of her clients until she agrees to meet him at 8 at a hoity-toity nightclub. Everybody knows him as the hot undercover spy whose alcohol and boobs that they serve him nightly are their homeland security tax dollars at work. But she's still not impressed. They're about to part ways forever on the sidewalk when suddenly she sees a boyfriend who dissed her earlier at a sushi place when her Japanese sous chef arbitrarily screamed to everyone in the restaurant that she was single. <laughs> I remember every scene, dude. I'm telling you, it's all I think about. <laughs> to get back at her ex for being happy, she abruptly makes FDR kiss her. The boyfriend feels awkward and leaves. Wait, you used me as a prop to make your to make your ex feel bad? FDR asks. You're amazing. I love you. When he tells her he's a cruise ship captain, thus the pool in the ceiling, it's love at third sight because her first childhood crush was Gavin McLeod. <laughs> he preferred to be known by his psychophants, McL. <laughs> <clears throat> Tusk and FDR find out they're both trying to bang Reese Witherspoon and that even though neither of them slept with her and they've only known her for two days, she's the one. Since dating, like film directing, is a lot of work, they hire squads of obsequious black and or less good-looking white CIA field agents and extras to stalk her and tiptoe around her house while she's dancing in her underwear, to paw around in her desk drawers and point magnifying glasses at model Camaros on her bookshelves. Ha ha, she doesn't even know she has 12 dudes in her house. It's funny and not terrifying because they're smiling and moving like backup dancers. It's John Le Carre meets Andrew Lloyd Webber in a telepod kind of way. So the unhappenable thinks both male leads are falling in love with Reese Witherspoon because unlike most blonde romantic comedy movie trophies, she's a woman of substance. We know this because when her BFF, Chelsea Lately, asks her if either of her suitors have any drawbacks, Reese goes, yeah, FDR's hands are too small and the other guy's British. Poor Chris Pine. Girl troubles in Star Trek when he had a giant hand. Now this. Things get comical, 
or rather the snippets I saw in the movie trailer, play out predictably with agonizing slowness. Because she likes paintings by Klaus Kinski, FDR buys 59 rare works by him and brings Reese over to show them to her and tell her stuff about them. Because she doesn't know shit about them, even though it's her favorite painter. While Steve Martin covertly feeds FDR sonnets and art trivia into his earbud. So she'll fall in love with his exhaustive, exhaustive knowledge of minutia. <sighs> but Clever Tusk somehow hijacks the recording and starts feeding FDR raunchy non sequiturs. And poor FDR has no choice but to keep repeating them for minutes on end, long after he recognizes Tusk's voice and knows what's going on. <laughs> uh, th- this guy finger banged his canvas and made mud out of sticks. Tusk has a big penis. Oh, I mean, mine's like a mic. And I, oh, Ryan Fleep was epic and McGruber. Oh, guess in cruel intentions he wasn't acting. <laughs> Stop fake. Then test fake. to the radar screen. Wait. Please wait. You gotta catch up, huh? A lot of movie happened. Um, dingus? No. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh. Tusk snaps his fingers at a radar screen, and some sprinklers spray water all over his friend's apartment, destroy all the paintings, and FDR and Reese Witherspoon get all wet and hypothermic. At this point, Tom squeezes my leg and whispers, what a grand folly romance is. He's tearing up a little and has an erection, but I somberly <laughs> promise him to mention these facts on the podcast. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Since only a precious day or two remain of the one-week deadline, all three characters have arbitrarily imposed for Reese Witherspoon to pick which dude gets to continue having sex with her, Tusk and FDR take every random thing she says on the surveillance tapes they're mutually studying and organize multiple 10-hour dates around them. When Tusk hears Reese Witherspoon say he's too, quote, safe, he decides to blow her mind by taking her to the most dangerous activity on Earth. Paintball! <laughs> wow, Reese Witherspoon gushes. That really took some skill sticking your arm down that crevice and blowing up all those crying kids with that blue paint grenade I guess you stole from a bank. Is that even a legal tactic in paintball? Also, why'd you keep the grenade and throw the pin in? I'll tell him. And Tusk is all... I wouldn't mind doing the same thing to your panties, only in white instead of blue, but with flecks of red and yellow. And she's all, uh, did FDR hijack your microphone? And he's all, sorry, it's a British expression. You know, like filet of fish <laughs> Finally, ignoring the other 7 billion available women on the planet takes its toll not only on national security, but more importantly on our hero's friendship or brotherhood if they're brothers. Tusk gets mad. You took her to see great Gam Gam say that you wet your bed till last Tuesday? Not cool, man. I was going to do that with her for Valentine's Day. And FDR saw, dude, you shot a dot in my neck from a thousand feet away. Wait, that's the American guy. <laughs> so, Dude, you shot a dart in my neck from a thousand feet away that she somehow didn't see in my hand. She almost called 911 instead of being mildly annoyed. And if you'd been off to the left by another three inches, I'd be dead right now. And Tusk is all, yeah, my aunt sucks. Because he's British. Uh, since the movie's finally winding down, Chelsea lately tells Reese to pick not the better man, but which guy makes her a better her. So she calls Tusk to tell him to have lunch with her so she can tell him he doesn't do that to her. And FDR is not invited to this, so he respectfully settles for watching some surveillance footage of it. He sees a black truck parked 10, 10 or 12 blocks away from something. And when he tells his PA to enhance the image, it's Heimlich. He's stalking Reese Witherspoon, too, instead of killing his adversaries directly. Hmm. If only our heroes had devoted a scintilla of the time and energy and resources they just pissed away for a week fighting each other over some chick to actually catch on the bad guy like they're paid to by us, 
But fortunately for Heimlich, it's Valentine's Day, and this is America. FDR goes to the restaurant his friends are eating at to help draw Heimlich's fire down on all of them. Kings, kings, things, things get awkward. So instead of resolving them, Reese Witherspoon goes to the bathroom to talk to her reflection. When FDR tells Tusk that Heimlich's about to kill them, Tusk understandably, understandably disregards his friend's tone and words and punches him, and they destroy the whole restaurant, which makes everybody, including the employees, all leave silently and immediately. <laughs> I didn't see that shot, but I'm assuming it happened. Uh, when Reese Witherspoon comes out and sees all the broken chairs and glass and all the other diners and restaurant employees mysteriously vanished and the PG-13 bloodstained scrapes and bruises on her two boyfriends' faces, her response logically focuses on the most crucial aspect. You two know each other? Meanwhile, Heimlich's outside being sinister to Chelsea lately by saying, We want your boyfriends, although we have no plan of any kind. And Chelsea Lately's all, wait, why do you think I'm dating one of them? And how'd you find us? And why are you doing this shit in broad daylight all by yourself? It's not like Majita half-ass an action set piece. A half-assed car chase ensues in which Reese Witherspoon is saved, and Chelsea Lately is comically abandoned by the heroes to crash <laughs> and in the tar pits. But luckily, it's water, and only two inches deep, despite the shot of her car submerging two seconds earlier. Meanwhile, the freeway that wasn't finished in speed still isn't finished. <laughs> 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 18 years later but <laughs> damn that nicks on me beside me a cold sweat of anxiety breaks out on Tom's lip Tusk and FDR employ their unique skill sets to save Reese Witherspoon by huddling at opposite ends of the embankment and yelling at her to jump to each of them simultaneously and naturally in accordance with the California Highway Code whoever she jumps to gets to fuck and marry her but their spy skills are no match for this exotic scenario Heimlich's driving right towards them all seems lost. But then Reese goes, we don't have much time, but if you shoot the headlights, the airbags will pop because this model stopped carrying metric system in 2006. The car flip over in circumference exactly six times, crash on the freeway below, killing hundreds of people. They shoot randomly till Heimlich's scenes are over and all the communist CG blown up. Reese is huddled by FDR, trembling lovingly. I called Tusk to break up with him because I'd chosen you, she says. But then a few minutes ago, after finding out that you lied to me about liking dogs, paintings, and sick children, I realized that I still love you and hate Tusk even more. Plus, you and I had already had sex, so hopefully the most unpleasant surprises are behind us. And Tusk is all, wow, she picked the American with the acronym, even though I was eight feet closer. I'm a regular Zachary Quinto. <laughs> See, because remember... Uh... Kirk stole the captaincy. All right. So thanks to love, everything's back to montage. Tusk's ex-wife comes to karate class and goes, Hey, our son saw you on the news blowing up cars on the freeway with that blonde whore the newscaster said you two had just destroyed a whole restaurant over, which made me realize I love you after all. Abruptly, after six years, take me back. And he's all, uh, and hits the other dad who can't do anything because it's the end of the movie. Since their covers are blown, FDR and Tusk get new jobs as nighttime skydiving instructors, which is ironically a huge new national fad, but he saw Heimlich do it down into Sunset Boulevard at the beginning of the movie. Just before they jump, FDR goes, I guess whatever the fuck just happened in this movie is poetic justice in a way since I slept with your great Gam Gam, didn't you? And as they comically plummet into a mushroom cloud, Tusk screams, If we beat Ghost Rider, this means more! <laughs> the end. <laughs> All right, thank you, Kelly Wand. <clears throat> and now uh, for the three by three. <laughs> well, Dingus, actually, I understand that we have some notes from your wife. Ah, yeah, I dedicate that opsis to Wendy, by the way. That Dingus is 
Sorry. Notes from my wife, starring um, Helen Mirren. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we not? I, I thought, Wendy, uh, there there were some things that we were expressly told to keep in mind when we discussed the movie on the podcast. That's right. Um, her main note to us, which uh, I heard about a third into the movie, was you better keep in mind that all of you are laughing out loud right now and a lot. When you, rip, when you rip it apart later on. Yeah. I mean, it's like watching uh, Carter Country with your grandma. and She's howling at every punchline. You laugh so that you don't feel like you're in an asylum. <laughs> yeah, you got Well, Kelly Wan, I think we know where you stand. Uh, you're, I, I think this has done nothing to alleviate your longstanding loathing of McGee. Am I correct? Uh, no, yeah. Okay. He sucks. he sucks as bad as I thought he did. You're about the same. Uh, Dingus, where do you stand on This Means War? Keeping in mind what your wife uh, reminds you to keep in mind. And she'll well, listen. <laughs> she'll never listen to this. Really? <laughs> no. Is that stupid? She's a busy woman. She has things to do. Uh, uh, I don't books. know. Just books to write and people to teach. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. All I'm saying is, and I told her this, that uh, that Tom would have a perfect uh, defense for that. That you know, it doesn't matter what we laugh at because we're easy when it comes to laughing at stupid things. <laughs> so uh, so just just remembering that we were laughing at something is no defense against us later ripping it apart. <laughs> well, well I, and I, who says we're going to rip it apart? That's a good point. That's a very good Tom's point. Tom's a McGee apologist. So I am the McGee apologist, only to a certain extent, though. I mean, I uh, I was a little taken aback at whatever the heck happened in that Terminator movie. Uh, that was awful. I I'm since I'm willing to spread the blame around, though. Uh, I think apparently Christian Bale's ego was a large part in whatever happened there. Sam Worthington, of course, figured prominently. Uh, it's just an it's a really a, sort of a worn-out franchise. So you know what? Maybe we can cut McGee a little slack there. I didn't see his feel-good movie, uh, We Are Marshall. Uh, I didn't see that, so I can't speak to that. But I am a huge, huge fan of both Charlie's Angels movies. Uh, I, I own them. I watch them frequently, and uh, I, I love them. So, yes, I am a McGee apologist, and uh, I, I'm willing to defend this movie. Oh, bad. <laughs> Bad times. That's right. Only to an extent, though. Yeah. Uh, in that, uh, it's it's really stupid. It's pat. It's sloppy. It's inconsistent. Uh, but more importantly than all of those things, uh, I have two things to, to say about it. It is energetic. I always feel that if you're going to be, you know, pat, sloppy, inconsistent, convenient, formulaic, whatever, at least be energetic. I think it's got that going for it a lot. But more importantly, good golly, do I love watching Tom Hardy work. That guy is just, uh, I, I, that's not working. You know, you say that Kelly, it's a holiday. you say that, but considering the material he was given, I do consider it working. Uh, I, you know, Dingus forced me to watch a movie called warrior last year, which as I've said before, I will now say for at least the third time is probably the stupidest movie I have liked in a long time that now, uh, I, I think could be. I think I could say that maybe a little bit about This Means War. But Tom Hardy really 
carried that thing for me. And, and certainly Joel Edgerton, who is really good as well, but mainly Tom Hardy. I'm just so fascinating, fascinated watching that guy, even in a crappy chick flick like this. Um, so those two things, the sort of energy that went into it and just how fascinating I find Tom Hardy – uh, we're kind of saving graces for what was a, a pretty forgettable pedestrian movie. All right, so I guess you're both with me on that. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely with you on that. I I think I think I'll probably be a little more harsh with this means were because I'm so annoyed with uh, the um, the amount of things that are terrible about the direction of it. But I had such a great time watching it. <laughs> I don't know that I can divorce that from how I feel about those crappy things. Well, and it, it certainly helped that we saw it on opening night in a, a pretty crowded theater with a relatively enthusiastic audience. Uh, I I think that my viewing experience was greatly enhanced by sitting next to Kelly Wand while he all but writhed in agony. <laughs> I considered that a key part of the experience. Well, there are moments where, where the laughter just sort of keeps cascading, like like these uh, awful opening porn windows or something, because cause I hear uh, my friends laughing around me, and I hear Kelly Wan doing what you said, writhing in agony, and there were a couple of scenes where I just couldn't stop laughing, and my stomach was hurting because of that situation. And, you know, part of it is the situation, but part of it is there's genuine, genuine, there I am again, there's genuine energy in this movie that I really liked. And a lot of that has to do with Tom Hardy doing, you know, not just his his great things that he does in Warrior, but bringing a lot of comic timing. You know, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think we kind of lose track of that and some of the stuff that he's done since. But I think anyone who has seen Bronson is clearly prepared for Tom Hardy doing comedy. I mean, Bronson is freaking hilarious in a really weird way. Uh, but watching This Means War definitely reminded me that, yeah, Tom Hardy is a funny guy. Uh, Kelly Wand, have you seen Bronson? No, I don't see movies uh, named after other actors. <laughs> All right. You might want to but make an good? you might want to make an exception. Bronson is uh is every bit the black comedy that Clockwork Orange was back in its day. And it's Nicholas Winding Refn. It's the guy who did Drive and he's not oh. trying to do a Hollywood movie. I mean, he's in <clears throat> he's clearly doing his own thing. I mean, uh, one of the one of the great things about Bronson is that it's pretty freaking unique. Um it's a weird movie and and Tom Hardy is just just Staggeringly good in, in Bronson. Pre Grifters, Stephen Frears, like pre sellout British guy, right? Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is Danish, I believe. Same thing. <laughs> Same temperature. Uh, so, Same Kelly Wand, what do you have to say about that? Come on, now you appreciate this means war more, correct? I like. I think he's funny. And I think Chris Pine's funny. I didn't think Reese Witherspoon was funny, but she. But it's never this. Is, I. Maybe I when I see comedies, I only kind of laugh at stuff that no one else laughs at, like throwaway stuff and just weird line ratings and stuff. But every laugh in This Means War is a laugh you see coming a mile away. It's just so – and I it didn't help probably that I saw the trailer too. <laughs> and every – there's not one sequence in the movie that I remember that wasn't in the trailer, like the darts in the trailer – well, you know that's the on that's sprinklers. on you, right? And that's on you for watching the trailer. So I hope no. you're happy. 
But they gave me the trailer. They gave me the trailer and the movie. So uh, don't watch the trailer. You don't have to watch it. Quit did they show the Tuck no. doing that awesome yeah. thing? Did they show Tuck doing that awesome thing after the dart? After the dart? Yep, they show that in the trailer. Unfortunately. Oh. I know. <laughs> right. So you know, I maybe I don't know. That's I, a great bit of thing, physical comedy that you miss out on. Stop watching trailers. Yeah, yeah Kelly Wand. Well, I didn't think I was going to see it. I didn't think you guys were going to bitch me. I have two weeks left in America, and you're going to see romantic comedies directed by McGee. That's what and we have. And at my, at my pain. <laughs> but when I see McGee, and I when I get this from Brett Ratner, too, you know how people say Mitt Romney or George Bush are out of, are out of touch with people because they never saw a scanner? They, like, they say like to fire insurance companies. I totally get that vibe from him. Like, only that kind of guy would put a swimming pool ceiling in there. Because he just wants you to go, man, that's so fucking cool. Like he would, instead of he, he's in a comedy, but you're not even supposed to laugh. You're supposed to go, oh man, it'd be so cool to be a spy and have like a glass thing that my enemies could shoot me through. From now, Kelly, one, you say that, but I, I kind of disagree because I felt that uh, this felt less like a, a McGee coolathon and more like a chick flick. Uh, Dingus, do we know much about those two writers? Because I want to say they probably have maybe sitcommy backgrounds. Kinberg gave us Jumper, and I think he worked on Crystal Skull, so there's his pedigree. He also Ouch. wrote Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, wow. yeah, one hit. One hit. I can see that connection. And that's the true. other guy wrote Role Models. Oh, that's unfortunate, because that had Ed. That had a little bit of bite to it that made it uh, better than it should have been. He also wrote Just Go With It. So I'm glad. I, I don't even know what that is. So Wait, that's Adam Sandler where Aniston. Ah, that one, right. Wife. Right. It sounds just like this. It sounds like the exact same movie. It's people who just don't have sex with somebody else. Like they're stuck on, they have to have sex with this one person. And there's no B story. It's one plot strand the whole way through. Like, okay. Like Heinrich's just like, oh, he's just an afterthought in the last thing. Like they're not even spies. Boom. Right. And that's, that's why I say it's more like a chick movie. Uh, is them being spies is less, the, the movie is less concerned with that as anything other than, a gimmick so that they can do all the surveillance stuff and not seem quite as creepy. Uh, and, and the little mandatory tension at the end. Uh, but there's not, there's little differences between, there's no comp, like you convinced me that the change up was, was better than, like they actually are different from each other. Right. Performances. But in this, I get none of that. There's no comic dynamic between these two guys. And I'm reading it so great. It's just like by comparison with her. Well, see, now here's where I, I have to say that I really don't, I can't, Chris Pine just does nothing for me. Uh, I I didn't really feel like, like I would have imagined like that was part of the beauty of the changeup is that Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman I felt really were working together and they had a great dynamic yeah. going here I just felt like I was watching Tom Hardy deal with uh, a cast that was kind of like Reese Witherspoon is fine but she does this kind of thing in her sleep I imagine but Chris Pine I didn't feel you know he he was doing okay I guess but he just doesn't really bring a lot. To, 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 in my opinion. And he has to have Reese Witherspoon. I mean, it's a script thing. I mean, yeah, for, for script reasons, because Thomas Hardy has a romantic interest to fall back on in the family. And, you know, it's so formulaic. Of course, it's going right. to be Chris Pine. But I just really, Dingus, how do you feel about Chris Pine in this? I feel like when, when I'm watching him, we're being asked to pretend he's something else. Yeah. 
And yeah. and all of us just agree to this. The at least the women do. You know, just hearing my wife say, "Oh, he's he's so good looking," and and then I I was won over by Tom Hardy because of 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 how manly he is and, and these different things. But when you look at Chris Pine, he's got this weird skin thing going on, and I don't think he's that guy. He's not like uh he's not uh, Paul Walker or Bradley Cooper or Simon Baker or Ryan Reynolds. He's 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 fine. I I love him in Carriers. I I really liked him in Star Trek, but he's not that guy. So I don't get. I, I think we're all just agreeing to this hallucination of him as this gorgeous guy. And he and you're right, Tom. There's no chemistry there at all. And I, I think I hate that I know this, but it doesn't help that he apparently um, unceremoniously dumped his longtime agency uh, over email recently and they are suing him for uh their share of the the money that he's made and all these great roles that they've helped him get uh so it's just one of those little insider business things that i read shortly before this means war came out and i thought god what a weaselly little guy to ditch his long-term agency the folks that got him where he is and he's had quite a bit of a he's had quite a rise i mean he's doing very well for himself and he he, he dumps them via email and I actually read the email and it was this little tiny like passive aggressive paragraph and i was like god this guy's a jerk so i had that weird baggage going they all are they all are that's irrelevant he can uh, be a total dick and be an awesome actor. And I think awesome no, I think when you're like a celebrity like that, you hire other people to be the jerks. It's always a mistake to read to, <laughs> to see to read up on celebrities. I agree. Yes, because I, I watched the Brian Cranston winning the Emmys, and you know how gay I am for Breaking Bad. And I totally wished I hadn't seen him enter in Paul's speeches because <laughs> they seem genuinely yeah, woo, dude. I'm gonna go get a glass pool for my ceiling. I don't know. <laughs> totally destroyed the illusion they created. <laughs> That glass pool thing, though, I, I have to take issue with you comparing um, McGee and Ratner. <laughs> the glass pool connection. Because, between- because just take the glass pool, which is just this thing that's in the background. There's a there's his it's stewardess tricky. like swimming overhead, as opposed to the to the pool on the penthouse of Tower Heist and how that has to figure in later on. I just love that the glass pool is just this element, and McGee just. He's like, I can use it or not. And I, I have to take issue with you trying to compare those two because I don't think it's they're either a joke and it's not a callback for an action sequence. So it's a totally wasted opportunity. And it's shot like, oh, do you check out the pool and the chick? Oh, nah, OK, that, just wanted to show you that thing. It's not part of anything else. Well, he, he later says Look, that's, you know, that's for uh, physical therapy or whatever. Yeah, it's, there's, it's got a callback. And uh, plus, uh, I don't think I've ever seen any. I've never seen anything like that before. Where have you seen a glass pool overhead? In McGee's pants. <laughs> I haven't been looking in McGee's pants, so. Oh, it's still oh, oh to I me. have a question. Yes. I know you guys, remember when you guys uh, insist, and I guess everyone's backing you up, that I imagine the AKG sounds in House of the Devil. So uh, tell me if I imagine this as well. When they're spying on Reese Witherspoon and she makes a joke about Chris Pine's small hand implying that his dick's small, did he, did he turn to Tom Hardy and go, come on, dude, you've seen it. It's not small. Yes. Or did I? Okay. That one time in Bangladesh, I think he even says. So there, there's some. Uh, okay. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I can answer other questions about the dialogue. Give me a tougher one. So they see each other's. They. Okay. So you know they're what? not gay. They're not. They've been in the shit. Of course, I spent half the movie thinking they were brothers and wondering how that was going to work out. I did, too. Like, early on, I thought we were going to get some explanation about he was adopted. Well, they did have the thing about. Uh, 
Yeah, somebody was taken under the Nana's wing or something at an early age. Like, wasn't that something going on? You know what? I, the movie doesn't care, and I don't care. <laughs> that's what I kind of. Uh, that's the conclusion I've come to. Uh, right. So uh, let's talk about let, let's talk about who the heck Chelsea Handler is because she was a great best friend. What what is she just some stand up comic? Yeah, she's a talk show Chelsea Lewis. She's funny. She's great. I'd never yeah, seen. She was as much a revelation to me as that overhead swimming pool. She was the Tom Arnold in True Lies character that you go. I don't like her. Oh wait, she's really funny in this. She was really funny. She's kind of like a uh, a crustier Catherine Keener. I thought. But she oh, gives but wow. Reece, nicely she's done. covering up. Yeah, but Reese Witherspoon's that. so blank cipher. Chelsea Handler has to do all the heavy lifting in all those scenes. Yeah, well, Reese Witherspoon is not. That's again why I say it's like a chick flick. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is not there to be funny. She's a straight man. Uh, she, you know, it's all about her conflict. Uh, it's about making her look good and not slutty. It's being very careful about her showing us that she's wrestling with, you know, the prospect of having sex with two men at once. And uh, uh, it, it's a chick but flick, not really. Right? She doesn't have sex with both of them. Of course, right? Of course not. You know, she she pulls it it's out. Not, she's she's uh, she's not compromised in any way. <laughs> so yeah, she keeps her purity. Something for I like, everyone. I like Chelsea Handler in this. I I, I don't have any previous uh, experience with her. Um, I think she's no Leslie Mann, and she doesn't have a Paul Rudd to play with. Because uh, I kind of felt yeah. like like that. What I liked most about Knocked Up was what she was trying to do. Um, but I liked her, and it was always a relief when she showed up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was pretty sloppily cut together. Like, there were times where I wished that they'd let a scene play out for a little longer rather than trying to cut to the next gag. And there were even times where it felt like even the the even McGee wasn't real clear about the sequence of scenes. Like, it would cut to a scene and then come back to people talking about... Uh, it, it, it just had a real, like I say, sloppy feel to it. And Kelly Wand, you talking about how they've got a week. Um, you know, I feel this could have been a more sort of tightly contained, almost hangovery kind of experience. Uh, and it wasn't. It was just kind of stitched together from, from scene to scene. Uh, so that's the energy. Lo- it's like the energy levels are in the performances, but not in the writing. Uh, I would agree with that. And, and I think some in some of the direction there, there was there was some energy. Um, although I have, uh, to, I have to say that's maybe the worst car chase I've ever seen because in what kind of kidnapping do you let the victims drive themselves after you have kidnapped them? Or why do we have to drive somewhere else when the two guys we want are inside the restaurant right there? Right. Yeah. <laughs> they did it in Safe House, too. Like, he has... Let's not talk about Safe House. Let's All save right. that. Uh, but, like, oh, yeah, you get to drive. Well, the the action, you know, I think of McGee as having this action sensibility because I like Charlie's Angels so much. But that first action set piece is so horribly directed. <laughs> and it does the thing that I hate where I can't tell who's fighting whom and who, who's the guy who just went over right the back. ledge and who got the fat piece of fabric. I can't tell who's fighting anybody. And those pieces of money look horrible in CG. It's just terrible action. That's the, that's the only shootout in the movie. Uh, that's not true. There's a shooting at the end where they shoot the headlights. Uh, that's yeah, that's not a shootout. Sure the headlights is. don't shoot back. Oh, for it to be a shootout, someone has to yeah, return fire? One v one yeah. Someone has to return it's fire. Okay. V1. Fair enough. Fair enough. This means war. <laughs> uh, so, Kelly, are you going to watch this with your mom? Oh, she laughed at me 
when I told her we were doing it. She goes, what's your movie? I go, that. She's like, what? I go, I know. And she's like, that's how uh, frou-frou she thought. Like, she didn't even see this movie. Oh, it's too dumb. I don't want to see that piece of shit. Wow, so not even Kelly Wan's mom wow. would, would endorse This Means War. That's kind of sad. She watched Lost twice in a year. <laughs> <laughs> but she'll have no part. She'll have of, no part of This Means War. This Means War. But yeah. Wendy is right. Like, Dingus was laughing a lot. But I think I was tri- I was tripping Dingus up. So I think. Oh, no, uh, that's, that's exactly what was going on. My my laughter was, uh, I, it would be triggered by something on the screen, and then I would hear Tom laughing, and then I would hear you moan, and then Wendy would laugh, and it was just this cascading laughter. Couldn't help it. It was fun to watch. Although, Kelly Wan, come on. How I I just thought that that stuff where uh, Chris Pine was getting fed the information about Klimt in his earpiece, uh, that... Uh, come on, you cannot deny that that was an awesome sequence. That's the only scene where I got the sense there was any improvisation going on from the actors. I went, <laughs> okay, the, Kinberg definitely didn't write that line because it, it was funny. Yeah. How about everybody in the animal shelter just completely, what, who are you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah come on. That was good too, Kelly Wand. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he says something funny in there. I'm actually a bit of a Chris Pine apologist. He's now, pretty funny at Star Trek. Well, I, you know, I, I, for, I, he has to, I think it's like Dingus is saying is sometimes we'll, we're willing to pretend he, he is what he's not, but for very specific parts, <laughs> well, for very specific parts, like in Star Trek or in Carriers, uh, I think he's fine. Uh, I, I, although even, you know what, uh, that Smoke and Aces thing where he, he's the skinhead who murders Ben Affleck. Uh, I recall really being taken by him in, in that. It happens in like the first, 15 minutes of the movie. And Affleck gets murdered in a movie, and I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's kind of the gag, yeah. And Smoke and Aces, you think, oh, it's a Ben Affleck movie. <laughs> and then 15 minutes in or whatever, Chris Pine basically jumps on him and stabs him and, and goes crazy. I think Chris Pine's head is shaved. He's like a neo-Nazi. Uh, he, speaks he speaks what? For all of us? Uh, I'm not sure that's his role in the film. I don't think so. Oh. <laughs> but no, he's funny in Star Trek. And it was it was weird to make him funny in Star Trek because you think it would be he'd be in, he'd be daunted like okay I gotta like it would be like the first Star Trek movie where everything's kind of reverential and somber like the like the first Star Trek movie well yeah yeah but instead they make it into a John Landis movie <laughs> which well, that was a bold choice right. a bold go, boldly going I don't know. <laughs> And there was a little bit of that here, but it's just ah, there's def- there's like cool things about this idea. None come to mind all uh, right the second, but <laughs> I feel weren't milked properly. Kelly Wand, Kelly Wand, Patriot Act. Oh, they stole that line from uh, something something from uh, the Departed. I've heard that line in the Departed and something else. Yeah, but it was uh, the- funny here. Yeah, exactly. The Patriot Act, uh-huh. and it, even in the real world, Kelly Wand, uh, the Patriot Act is indeed a punchline. It is? To what? <laughs> the Constitution. Let's talk about This Means War for another hour. All right, so we all love This Means War, except uh, Kelly Wan loved it more than everyone. Good point. <laughs> I love Dingus, I believe... Uh, Dingus, I believe you're in charge of this week's 3x3. What do you have for us? 
All right, these are your favorite things done with a dead body. Yeah. In a movie. And Dingus picked it. That's weird. Not me. It is weird. Uh, all right, I am introducing next week's 3x3, three three, so uh, I will go first. Uh, and I picked this one just for Dingus and for Kelly Wand. <laughs> I'm going to give you a line. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Ready for the line? You're all wet. Oh, that's my number one, you fuck. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that's why it's for you. It's for well, you it's and for Dingus. It is the best one. It is a great use of a dead body. Like, I went, oh, it's easily. Like, I, it was in my number two, and then I looked at my other two and went, no, nah, MacGruber's the best one. Well, there, there's a couple of great use. Well, there's at least there's another great use of a dead body at the end of MacGruber, but I just loved this scene. Yeah. Uh, and I went back and watched it and didn't realize a, a couple of things. Well, I remember that he misspells that MacGruber's so stupid, he misspells you're all wet. He misspells your. Uh, but I also forgot that it doesn't even get the guys wet. <laughs> like. Yeah. He's they so- barely notice it. It's shot like they just disregard the cup. Yeah, like, and so he's got so MacGruber has basically booby trapped a room. Uh, he's at the I guess like the henchman's lair at the end of the movie, and he's booby trapped a room with a dead body and a wire and a styrofoam cup. And he builds something, and then he gets on the intercom system, and he's like, hey, we're up in the control room. Come up here and get us. And then they run off, and the guys, the guards burst into the control room, and a cup of water <laughs> spills over the top of the door and misses them. And another guard's dead body is strapped to a chair, and he's flipping him the bird, and he's got a sign on his chest that says, you're all wet, and it's misspelled your. And they're flipped, and he's, the, he's giving them the bird. The right, corpses. he's got the corpses. Great, yeah, middle fingers are taped up into uh, yeah, yeah, the, which uh, must have taken twenty minutes for them to do. <laughs> so, Dingus, what do you think of that? Was that uh, on well, your list, Dingus? MacGruber has all three of mine, so I'm annoyed. <laughs> That's a turkey. His throat rip. Uh, MacGruber is the smartest person in working in film, known as McG. FYI. <laughs> who, di- who directed MacGruber? Jorma Tacone, who played Chaka in the Land of the Lost movie. That was his first director. I know. I don't believe that guy's a genius. Oh, my mom tried to watch MacGruber and couldn't get into it after 10 minutes, which I I remember being kind of a slow start. And I went, well, Dingus will back you up on this because he's mad at us for telling us. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. Why do you you think that's funny? Well, it gets good towards the end. There's this wedding. Yeah, anyway. Like, she's kind of mad at me about it. And, like, put off telling, like, oh, I don't know how to tell Kelly. I didn't like MacGruber. I couldn't finish watching it. Uh, how can MacGruber? you use your mom as an example of why it's ridiculous for uh, us to see a McG movie and then turn around and use her as an example of why it's important for us to like MacGruber? Because she didn't like MacGruber. Bones. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> See what you see, Kelly. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, uh, what is your number three choice then if it's not MacGruber? Because uh, MacGruber is your number one. Yeah. Well picked. I think my number two is going to be one of yours too. All right. I doubt it, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> really? Uh, I don't think you've seen either of my next two movies. So. Uh, but maybe oh, you picked really? them anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm shocked. Huh. Well, you're going to look stupid. <laughs> wait, you feel stupid. You'll look awesome, but you'll feel stupid. Uh, my number three is uh, from the movie Reanimator, which a lot of has a lot of cool things in it. This body. is not a dead body. It's animated. It's no longer a dead body. The scene you're talking about. 
Which one do you think I'm talking about? Oh, well, the one I'm assuming that Kelly Wand would bring up in a 3x3. Three three. It's legally dead. Well, no. I'm talking point. about he has to get there by smuggling his own head past security. So he has like a mannequin's head, but his, his headless body, and he's wearing a hat, and he's carrying his head in a sack. So, although Licking Barbara Crampton is technically my number three. With your decapitated head, uh, also yes. Question. No, these are these are fair points because I guess technically you're right. They are dead bodies. Uh, Dingus did not specify the dead bodies could not have been reanimated. So no, yeah, that's a good point, Kelly Wand. And this guy you know, egg on his face. And this was uh, Stuart Gordon at his. You know, I I think this was uh, Stuart Gordon at the height of his game, doing a lot of fun stuff in that first reanimator. Yeah. Have you seen any of his more recent movies? They're not as good. Did you see Robot Jocks? Oh, I want to. That's <laughs> one I've seen. Don't see Robot Jocks. From Beyond's okay, but it's not as good as Reanimator. Well, Reanimator's hey, kind of genius. I mean, did you? Uh, isn't um, that thing where Jeffrey Rush gets stuck in the windshield? Uh, stuck. Oh, that's what it's called. Uh, have you seen Stuck? Isn't that his last movie? <laughs> Jeffrey Rush, he just said? It's either Jeffrey Rush or Stephen Ray. I sometimes no, confuse Jeffrey them. Rush. Jeffrey Combs. It's Jeffrey Rush, yeah. Not Jeffrey Combs. No, Jeffrey Combs, uh, what has he been doing lately? I, I saw him in a, one of these Masters of Horror things where he plays uh, Edgar oh. Allan Poe. And he, I like that one. The, the resemblance is just uncanny. It's amazing. I think, he does a, I think he does a one-man show, though, as Edgar Allan Poe, Jeffrey Combs. Unrelated to that episode. R- well, no, that I think... Right, unrelated to the episode, and I think he was cast in the episode partly due to the fact that he does this one-man Poe show. Um, but anyway, <laughs> shut up, Dingus. Anyway, uh, oh, the, the, wait, wait. We talked about this when we talked about uh, Crying Game. It is Stephen Ray, I think. Uh, that is correct. Yes, it is Stephen Ray. Uh, thank you for telling me the wrong thing at first. Dingus. Sorry, I apologize. Uh, so right, you it's definitely Stephen Ray and the uh, American Beauty chick. Mira Sor- no, what's her name? Suvari. Mira Suvari. Oh, yeah. hey, in that American Pie reunion movie, does it ever annoy anyone but me that Jim's dad is just known as Jim's dad and doesn't have his own fucking name? Like uh, Mr. I'm going to say no. They did that in the second one, and it's like, <laughs> those are supposed to be heartwarming sex comedies, like Jim's dad. Like, they say it like that. Like, oh, remember how awesome Jim's dad is? It's an analog to Stifler's mom. That's the joke. Yeah, oh, she has a name. What is it? Stiffer's <laughs> Sure. Right. Uh, so Kelly Wand, I do recommend Stuck. Uh, I think after doing a lot of crappy stuff, Stuart Gordon sort of came around. He did do that David Mamet play with uh, oh, Rats. Is the adaptation? It's it's like one dude's name. It's the guy who ends up in prison, uh, being raped by a black man at the oh, end. Edmund. Edmund, right, right. He did I'm an masturbated to that. I, yeah. That's yeah. way too much information. Oh, I mean. <laughs> The credits. No, no, no. Uh, what about? Have you seen a weird movie called? I want to say Empire of the Ants. Yeah, Joan Crawford. No, no, that's the one about the real ants. That's the based on. Some... No, the one you want the you mean the one with A U N T, where it's an empire. <laughs> no, no, G Woodhouse. Uh, British. Well, you know, maybe you're, now you've got me. Now you've got me down. Maybe it's called. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll. Sc- you'll never get back what you. The Kingdom of the Ants or Empire of the Ants or. Anyway, was well, it a monarchy or is it? An, do they have designs <laughs> on islands around? It could be a republic. The Ant Hill. <laughs> it could have it's a parliament. I think they have a parliamentary body. Right, uh, right. No, Kelly Wan. So this is the guy in Office Space and That's the. 
and the you see her? I fucked her in the ass. That guy from Adaptation. What's that guy's name? Ron. Come on, you guys have to help me here. Livingston. Is that right? Ron Livingston. So it's him. He is like a drifter who gets hired by uh, what's the guy on Cheer? George Went. Who gets hired by George Went? I think to like paint a house or something, and something messes up where he sleeps with the wrong woman or something. So they kidnap him, and they lock him in a tool shed. And every day they come into the tool shed and they beat him in the head with a golf club until he has brain damage. And the movie is about how he gets back at them. <laughs> it's oh. this really weird the decks. The deck stacked against him. Yeah, exactly. Like, how does a brain damaged right. vegetable of a man? Uh, it's like, what if you were watching Death Wish, but instead of Charles Bronson, you had a guy who was, for all intents and purposes, a vegetable? Uh, so, anyway, that's another recent thing that Stuart Gordon did that I thought was kind of cool. Hey, my mom told me they cut out the head off a chicken, Bob the chicken, and he lived for months afterwards, but he eventually choked to death. Uh, <laughs> okay. Can you verify that? I'm going to look into that. Uh, but first, I'm uh, going to ask Dingus what his third favorite use of a body is in a movie. Probably wise to do in that order. <laughs> All right, here's a quote from it. Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. Hmm. So Dingus was doing his Hispanic accent. Yeah, uh, guessing he's Irish he, Hispanic. I, I'm so. guessing he thinks he sounds like John Leguizamo. So I'm going to guess Land of the Dead. That is his favorite actor <laughs> of color. Dingus, was I close? No. Do it again, but without the accent. It's really distracting. I can't do without the accent. I can't do it without the do accent. It with an, all right. Oh, wait, that's good. Okay, now I know what it is. It's... uh. Kramer versus Kramer? All right. Uh, without the accent, the line is, Welcome to the party, pal. Uh, Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown. Oh, it's got to be It's got to be Die Hard. Yep. So it's now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 which is a, which is a minor, I, I think, MacGruber improves yeah, MacGruber, on that scene. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we right, Dingus? No, Dingus it's, it is Die Hard, but it's the, uh, the time that John McClane, trying to get uh, Sergeant Al Powell's attention oh yeah yeah drops oh, yeah, yeah. a dead body out the window and there's just this great moment i, tell, I love this moment where uh where uh, al pal is driving is about to back his car away and you just have this shot of hey. the body descending to the hood of the car and sma- and his head smashing through the windshield then he backs up and goes over an embankment because he's he's panicking right and then right. the car goes yeah uh, that's a great one that is a good, good one Vegas. that is actually a really good one well he totally know. fulfilled the topic he totally understood the topic that he came up with. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly he did that correctly. What but he he's got he's got two more that are better. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Kind of jealous of that one actually. <laughs> Forgot about that. I still think it's no McGruber. Well, nothing. No, but it's not the same thing. It, remember when the elevator dings and then it opens and the flames come? <laughs> That's my favorite <laughs> Die Hard moment. How come they don't upscale that in the sequels? Like, I th- the I think Final Destination upscales the bus repeatedly, don't they? Uh, isn't there another Die Hard in the works, by the way? Yeah. Why do you sound... They don't know... Because it's... They they don't know what they're doing anymore. I kind of PG-13's enjoy- not the proper... Yeah, you know what? Let's hope it's R-rated. We should be I going NC-17 Die Hards with <laughs> Timothy Olyphant. 
Uh, all right, so uh, Dingus Diehard, good choice. My number two use of a body. I don't think you guys have seen this. I'm getting a little obscure, and this might have more to do with... Well, I was going to say it might have to do with the fact that I saw it as a kid and it freaked me out, but I've, I've recently watched it in the last year or so. Um, there's an Italian horror director named Mario Bava, uh, and I couldn't name any of his movies other than the one I'm about to name to save my life, but I think he's one of those... Like, if you talk to super horror aficionados who know these, like, really obscure early Italian directors, um, they would know Mario Bava. Uh, he came even before Dario Argento. Uh, and this fella did a movie. It was a horror anthology. I think it was, like, three shorts called Black Sabbath. Uh, and two of the shorts I don't really remember much about. They don't do much for me. Uh, when I rented it recently from Netflix, it's actually on Instant Watch now. Uh, I don't recall them leaving any sort of an impression on me. But the one that I remember is called A Drop of Water. And a drop of water, it's sort of a classic. It's, it's basically like Poe's Telltale Heart. It's where a, a nurse, a woman who works as a nurse, comes to the house of an old lady that uh, is, she's supposed to care for, but earlier in the day, the old lady has died. So she's got to stay there with this dead old woman to basically just, I don't know, mind the body until the, the, the coroner, whoever, gets there in the morning. So it's about this woman having to stay there with this, this old lady's body for a night. And... One of the things that she ends up doing is stealing a ring off of the old lady's hand. Ooh. I know. Bad move. Bad move. Uh, and what makes it even worse of a move is that the movie is really creepy while she's sitting there with this old woman's body. And for the movie, they made a fake corpse. It just it looks really creepy. Uh, it's the sort of thing where if you see it, you will definitely remember it. Uh, if you've ever seen Black Sabbath, I guarantee that you will remember this sequence because of how scary looking that old woman's body was. Uh, and the, the, the eyes, like the, the, the nurse will check to make sure the, the, you know, she, when she looks in at the body, the eyes are closed and she comes in later and the eyes are open. Uh, and when she steals the ring, she drops it on the floor, and the hand falls down next to her. And it's just all these sort of cool gimmicks that we're kind of used to now, uh, but done with this really creepy-looking fake corpse. Um, and, of course, it ends poorly, I won't tell you, because uh, I think you should go to Netflix Instant Watch and watch it now. It's one of these, it's from 63, so it's before I was even born, uh, but it's one of these really early movies that is surprisingly effective for, for how old it is. Uh, is that Wait, what's the movie called? It's called Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath is the name of the movie. Right? It's the name of the movie, and I think the middle of the three, it's just typical horror anthology, uh, the middle uh, one is called A Drop of Water. Actually, Boris Karloff was in one of them. Was it Karloff or, or uh, Lon? No, it was Boris Karloff was in one of them. Uh, and he's also in the weird framing device, which at the end of the movie, like he's just riding a horse, I think, and he introduces each of the three movies. But then at the end of the movie, they pull back and show that it's a fake horse and that he's up against a screen. It's one of those back screen, backlit screen things. And the crew is milling around and he's he's still talking and doing a shtick about how you've just seen these chilling tales, blah, blah, blah. And you see the whole crew and stuff. It's some weird like meta commentary, I think. Uh, Wait, that's not supposed to be scary. Well, I don't know what it's supposed to be. I think if it's... you thought Boris Karloff was scary off a horse, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, but the horse isn't real, you'll just and the corpse isn't real, and the title has to do with water. So that's a Shyamalan thing. It's all fake, Kelly Wand. But the ring's real. Don't you think the ring is real? It was CG. Hmm. Why would you want to wear a ring? You just got off an old woman's corpse. Like that's, uh, well, they that's do, what you do. No, they do establish that she needs money, and that's why she's taking the job. 
you know, it's one of those things where the character has a very simple motivation. Oh, she's poor. She needs money. She's a little greedy. But when uh, relatives notice the ring's missing. Well, that's something that she's got to take into I'm trying account. Trying to plan my own ring thefts. <laughs> I take this job soon. Don't take them from you know what, Kelly Wan, do it, and then and then watch a drop in water, a drop of water, so that you will find out what happens to you when you take the ring. You know when? Oh, never mind. All right. You know when you watch horror movies and like ghosts are always fucking with people, right? And you go, God, why why would dead people be such dicks? When I was watching Grave Encounters last night, I was totally thinking, if I was dead, I'd totally do this to these people. <laughs> I'd totally bulge my eyes out and scare the shit out of them and like, chase them down fucking corridors. would be awesome. Because what, so what else yeah, do yeah. yeah, exactly. It actually seems – now I'm looking forward to death because of Grave Encounters. <laughs> uh, so speaking of – so because I recommended that to you, I think, right? Yeah, I think you did. Did, did did you like it? Just Fuck yeah. yeah, it was great. Great, great. <laughs> so, speaking of energetic, way energetic, and the and the acting was really good. And it goes, it's kind of the only thing about it is kind of predictable, um, but I like the pace. It's just good. Yeah, it cheered uh, me up. Yeah, and, and you know, it's uh, we've seen a lot of crappy found footage movies, and if you're going to be a crappy found footage movie, at least be energetic. So I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So Kelly Wong is crappy yes. found footage movies. Um, I forgot to mention this. Did you notice who Steve was from in uh, This Means War? Oh, Apollo 18. Yeah. That very good, Dingus. Oh, uh, because he looks like Matthew Fox a little. That's exactly what I was thinking. And but yeah, Dingus is totally right. Yeah. So that guy's he was so actually hard. funny, and the and the girl, the, his girlfriend was doing funny things too. Like she was like looking at Chris Pine, like oh man, and she I, goes, she's like, oh, you're so lucky. I think you could say they were energetic. <laughs> well, we're good actors <laughs> I don't know alright Kelly Wan what is your number two choice for uh, uses of a dead body in a movie it's a better choice than reanimator but not as good as MacGruber what, yeah, what would fit in yeah. there uh, Tideland ah oh, very good Yeah, I don't want to give it away but Tideland taxidermy that's all I'm going to say that's, what, that's what happens when you take because a... I want people to see Tideland and I don't want to uh, yeah, when I you... feel bad. Now I feel bad. I even said what I said. Can we get all this out? Can we get out everything <laughs> that I've ever said? I think it'd be way shorter. No. Uh, anyway, Tideland. Yeah. What? Nope. Good. Okay. Tideland. Good choice. Uh, so you don't want to say anything else about it? Does it, does something else happen in that that I forget? Like, is there some dance? I, I would have to know what you've remembered about it before I could answer that question. So why don't you tell me everything you remember about Tideland, and then I'll take it from there. All right. I remember the little girl. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. Is Janet McTeer sexy in Tideland? Yeah, but who isn't? <laughs> that kid's 12, but she has the body of a 13-year-old. Wait a minute. Janet, ah. That's Jodell Furlan. Janet McTeer is the beekeeper woman. I know. With the eye. No, you didn't. Uh, okay, who's sexier, Janet McTeer in Tideland or Jennifer Tilly? Oh, wait, wasn't she Stifler's mom? <laughs> I mean, Stifler's mom. Uh, I think that's a good pick, Kelly Wand, and you're probably right not to spoil it, I guess. But, uh, yeah, a dead body happens early on in Tideland, and, and the how that body progresses throughout the movie and its ultimate fate is a pretty cool choice. So, well-picked, Kelly Wand. Dingus, better than Die Hard, not as good as MacGruber. What would be your number two slot? 
I'm shocked that Titus isn't on your list, Tom. I mean, not Titus. Yeah, I just gave away mine. Fantastic. I was shocked that Tideland wasn't on yours. My number two is Titus. <laughs> Wait a minute. Which I one like... are you shocked that is not in my list? Let's get that straight first. Uh, I'm shocked Tideland isn't on your list. Okay. Uh, but they both have TI, so I messed up. Uh, I have one space for weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> now, uh, Titus, Dingus, you've technically picked a Shakespeare play and not a movie. Yeah, I felt bad about that, but the uh, the other one that would have taken this number two slot was also from a previous work, so I just went with this one because I like it more. All right, so why don't you tell us lot, lots of dead bodies in, in uh, Titus Andronicus. Well, actually, the movie's just Titus. Uh, what particular dead body situation are you referring to in, in your number two pick? Well, I'm I'm referring to the the dead bodies of Chiron and Demetrius, who are the sons of the Queen uh, Mother Tamora. And yeah, well, they they've ravished Lavinia, Titus's uh, daughter, and um, then they pretend to be rape and murder, which you know people often do, and uh, because uh, Lavinia, I'm sorry, because Tamora thinks that. Um, Titus is mad and that he'll believe that she is revenge and that her sons are actually rape and murder and she can help drive him mad. And he convinces her that he believes her and that she should just let rape and murder hang out with him and then that she should come over for dinner later. And then he proceeds to bake them into a pie, which he feeds to her. And I, I just love the way the movie Titus, I, I don't really know the play that much. I mean, I remember reading it, in college and not really getting it, but I love this movie so much. And I love the way uh, Anthony Hopkins plays that whole scene where he feeds them the pie and then he dances around telling them who is in the pie. Why, there they are both baked in that pie whereof their mother daintily hath fed. Exactly. Ah. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> hate you. I mean, hmm. profound. Uh, all right, so uh, that's a good pick. Uh, Stifler's mom. <laughs> all your favorites. Older. Still alive. All right, well, here's my number one pick, which I've actually used in another 3x3 three three where uh, we were talking about use of blood. Um, and it's a movie called A Midnight Clear about uh, a squad of soldiers in World War II who are uh, who run into a squad of German soldiers, and the German soldiers want to surrender to them, and things don't go very well. Uh, <clears throat> one of the characters dies, gets killed when things don't go very well, and when the squad discovers that they've been left behind by the army, uh, because the army's pulled back, it's set during the Battle of the Bulge, which was in a, the, the last German offensive in World War II, uh, they are basically abandoned in the forest, behind enemy lines suddenly, and they have to find some way to get out. So what they end up doing is using the body of the, the character who's died, who's fittingly, his nickname is Mother in the movie, to disguise themselves as a, a UN, uh, as, as a Red Cross, not UN, as a, a Red Cross group uh, carrying the wounded. Uh, so I love how Gary Sinise's body plays prominently into the conclusion of A Midnight Clear. Ah, my categories. Uh, all right, so uh, that is my number one. Kelly Wan, your number one. MacGruber. Yeah, well, it's always my number one. It's the zapped of the new millennium. Very good. So, uh, Dingus, your number one, also MacGruber. Yes, of course. 
predictable. <laughs> but if it hadn't been MacGruber, what would it have been? Uh, I've got a bit of dialogue for you fellows. Ah, good, yes. Mm. Uh, does Shadowcat care to help me with He this? has dialogue. Yes, he will help. He might be guessing. More of a monologue. All right, here's, here's the bit of dialogue. <clears throat> I do not approve of your methods. Yeah? Well, you're not from Chicago. Uh, well, it's either the Untouchables or Revenge of the Pink Panther. Yeah. <laughs> I always get those mixed up. May I use your the- fun? Is this your fun? <laughs> I want a loom. Uh, Dingus, was he right? He is right in the first part. It is indeed the Untouchables. Oh, I know what he's talking about. Uh, that's a good one, too. Mm. Dingus is good at these. It's not fair. It's bullshit. Fuck these. Well, well, it's not fair because it's my category, and this is what made me think of it. Um, this is uh, the moment when um, Elliot Ness and his uh, band of Untouchables are intercepting a shipment of whiskey at the Canadian border. And in intercepting said, mich- uh, uh, said shipment of whiskey, they also get Al Capone's bookkeeper. And they try to get him to talk, but he won't talk. And so uh, Jim Malone, played by Sean Connery, of course, the tough beat cop, uh, storms out of the little cabin they're in. And there's a mob guy that Elliot Ness has already killed on the porch. And Jim Malone pulls him up to the window and demands that the guy talk while holding up, up against the window and shoves his gun in his mouth, demanding that the guy talk. And then he shoots him in the mouth so that the bookkeeper goes, ah, I'll tell you whatever you want. That's it. Kelly, why is that a good one? You like that one. Because it's uh, it's good use of resources. You're taking something that's just ballast and you're turning it into a uh, you know, prop, good information. It's genius. You guys love that Untouchable movie. Eh, it's all right. It's good. What do you like about it? You're weird. Uh, what I don't like about What's it, it? Is, I, is that I haven't seen it in probably about 15 years. <laughs> I love it. I, I watched it again this week. I, I It's just so unbelievably beautiful. It's got some corny stuff in it, but it's a beautiful movie. Uh, and what made me feel weird about this category, that I, I really love that moment because I loved it when I first saw it, but I feel a little weird about it now watching it, and this is true of one of my runners-up as well, um, kind of because of what recently happened in Afghanistan with our soldiers peeing on dead bodies. Uh, <laughs> what? I know I know that sounds <laughs> totally stupid. I, I understand um... that that sounds totally stupid, but, but the first time uh. I saw The Untouchables when when Malone goes out and takes this dead body and, and desecrates it, essentially, he shoots it in the mouth in order to uh, scare the guy he's interrogating into giving him information about Al Capone. I thought, oh, that's such a great moment. He's done this. It, it doesn't hurt anybody because that guy's already dead. It's not like he's murdering somebody in order to get information out of a witness. But things have changed so much in the intervening decades that this – and the other one that I really liked, uh, it kind of, I don't know, I feel a little weird about it, but I still chose it as my number one because of the initial impact it had. Um, peeing on a dead body is kind of an arbitrary thing, or you're not really kind of getting, like, you could pee anywhere, you're just choosing the dead body. But Sean Connery's, like, saving lives by uh, 
pre-cremating part of a corpse early. <laughs> well, you know that the the excuse is that uh, yeah we're we're just you know that, that's kind of an excuse. And you know I was with my um, with my father-in-law over this Christmas, and I asked him about that that thing about peeing on the dead bodies because I've heard other you know people. <laughs> you sound like a really pleasant holiday. Uh... I am really pleasant, but he's a, he's a career military man, and I'd heard people oh. defend that saying who cares they're already dead and it's not creating more terrorists and all that and he's Got like no somewhere. it's wrong we're supposed to be better we're we're better than that that is just flat out wrong there's i don't have to give any justification for it it is just wrong so in going over this topic again the couple of things i i liked that i'd seen in movies early on were kind of ruined for me because i have to realize you know elliot ness and his friends shouldn't have been doing that no what are you talking about? That guy's a criminal. Yeah, well, I'm just babbling, so it doesn't really matter. Do we have any runners up? Is, uh, wait a minute. Why, oh. So there's a there's a video game called The Darkness Two, where you play this uh, this dude who's like demon possessed, and he's uh, and he runs around and he kills bad guys. And uh, one of his one of the apparent advantages of being demon possessed is he's got a little demon familiar. Uh, it's called a darkling, and he, for whatever reason, wears a little Union Jack, and he talks like a like a soccer hooligan. Uh, and when you shoot people or kill them or do whatever, the little darkling will run up, unzip his fly, and pee on the bodies. And his, his... oh, I thought you meant unzip the corpses fly. <laughs> don't don't go there, Kelly Wand. All right, no, that's fine. Uh, so, Dingus, you shouldn't play that game. All right, I won't. Wait, but it's demon piss, so in a way that's cremating it too. It is green. It's it's definitely green. Uh, I can I can tell you that darklings pee green. I, but I in know. some cultures, that's how they say hello and get married <laughs> simultaneously. Uh, let's save that for another three by three. That that seems like it'd be fun the first couple times, but then you know he'd run out of like why is he what's he drinking to make so much of it? Uh, demon brew. Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew, yeah, very good. I like Dean's answer. Uh, See, Dean just approached that from a theological point of view, that question. Uh, Yeah, runners-up. What what do we got? Dingus, what was the other runner-up that you said you felt uneasy about watching? Um, I felt uneasy about watching it, but I really love this movie, and it's also from other uh, sources, and that would be Troy. When does someone pee on a body in Troy? Or Nobody it- pees on a body, but um, <laughs> Achilles does not treat Hector's body nicely. Uh, yeah, that's Homer's fault. Uh, exactly. So, <laughs> oh, Kelly Wand. Uh, By the way, I think we've classic mentioned- literature. Yeah, we've mentioned more classic literature on this episode of the podcast, on the This Means War podcast, yeah. than on any other podcast I can remember. That's how McGee rolls. <laughs> Uh, Dingus, here's another one that, uh, that it doesn't help that I didn't like this movie, but I was very uneasy about this scene. There's a, I think it's Bad Boys 2 with a car chase where one of them's, someone's in an ambulance and they're tossing yeah, yeah. bodies out of the back of the ambulance. Yeah. To, I remember thinking, ew. They're cops, too. That's what police do. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's like Dingus is untouchable scene. Like, that's cool. And there's there's this kind of moral balance there. But this is Michael Bay just being crass. Um, but when McGee does it, it's fine. When are bodies being thrown out of the back of an ambulance in a McGee movie? Uh, in the scene they cut after the freeway crash. <laughs> uh, I'm sure maybe there was a scene like that in We Are Marshall, the only McGee movie I haven't seen. So I don't know. 
Uh, other runners up. He likes complete sentences in his titles. Mm, Charlie's Angels, yeah. Yeah, colon. <laughs> Terminator Salvation, right. Terminator Salvation, see. Uh, so another one I thought of was uh, the scene in War of the Worlds where Dakota Fanning, uh, I think this scene is actually about peeing as well, uh, Dakota Fanning has to go off into the woods, and she doesn't want her dad watching her, and she goes out by a river and sees a body floating in the river, and then another one comes down, and pretty soon she's looking out over uh, a you know, a, a flotilla of dead bodies coming down the river. Uh, I remember that being a pretty. Cool How is that applicable to Dingus's topic, which is best use of it? Like someone's using the dead body for something. Uh, Steven Spielberg is using the using dead body it, to show that. us the scale of carnage. So any movie with a dead body in it, therefore, meets Dingus's criterion. Uh, if oh, the body is used in an interesting way, yes. By the well, well in my my one for Black Sabbath, nobody used the dead body. It was a dead body that was there, and it was the, no. The, she was using the, it as an income source, <laughs> <laughs> a jewelry store. I mean, so, it was how the movie wait, used that, the dead body. Is that called Black Sabbath or a drop of water? So the Black Sabbath is a horror anthology with three little mini horror sequences, and the middle one, the one that I like, is called A Drop of Water. I think there's probably a title card before each one. It's like in Creep Show, you know, in Creep Show, each one of the segments had oh. a name. Because um, so I got mo- excited if that was the name of your movie, because last week I had one called Black Sunday. No, Black Sabbath is the name of the movie. So yes, you have every reason to be excited. Let's let's see if we can keep this going. Jordy Verrill, you lunkhead. A little fun. <laughs> uh, other runners up. Uh, is Herbie the car a dead body? <laughs> like was was he once was does he possess the spirit of a uh, car manufacturer? I don't know Died much. Sorry, I'm like Christine. I, I don't think I know the Herbie lore very well, so I don't think I could answer that. How about now? Now I can tell you, yes, Kelly Wan, Herbie is the reincarnated spirit of Don Knotts. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, in mm-hmm. Payback, Mel Gibson uses David Paymer's body as a human shield. So that's kind of good. That's what I was trying to think of, too. It's like, there, I, wasn't there a great scene, too, in uh, Total Recall? Like, action movies where yeah. someone picks up a body to intercept bullets. We've seen that recently, too. I'm thinking somebody's lying on the ground, and somebody shoots at him, but he pulls a body up in front of him. But, yeah, that's kind of a classic action movie. It's I mean, there's a movie where he uses dead bodies to put on, pull on top of himself. Maybe it's Platoon or Ravenous. Like to hide. Uh, yeah. Killing fields, maybe? He gets mistaken for... Also, in Ravenous, that's a good use of a dead body. <laughs> alive, right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> yeah, alive's a good use. The gray is a good use, if you're the wolf. It's a great use for it. Yeah. There's this horrible use of a dead body in Born Identity. I remember that. He grabs a dead body and then falls 17 stories. Oh, yeah. And he lands, <laughs> and on, lands on it. Gross. That wouldn't work, would it? That's it what worked. Indiana Jones would do, and he'd do it to the swordsman that he'd already he'd already fucked that guy over once. So he would do it, because he's also big, so if you land on him. But he wouldn't be cushiony, because he's too cut. Uh, it worked in idea. it worked in Batman. Uh, Doesn't Maggie Gyllenhaal like the? Oh, well, I only see the Schumacher ones. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see those new ones. All right, you guys ready for next week's three by three? Yes. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this. Let's see what let's see what we'll do with this. Uh, what I want from you, 
I need you to concede that your pick is a great movie. I need you to concede that the recipient of your pick is a great actor. But I need you to admit that it's a bad performance. So I want great actors in great movies who give bad performances. Uh, use that as you will. This will say a lot about maybe what you look for in a performance. Um, one thing that, that uh, like I think, for instance, uh, poor Jack Lemmon, for whatever reason, was cast in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet as one of the guards early on in the movie. Yes. And he, <laughs> he cannot deal with Shakespeare to save his life. I mean, I, I wish I could do justice to his line reading. But uh, it's where Horatio asks him, you know, where, when have you seen the, the ghost of Hamlet's father? And poor Jack Lemon is, I mean, I don't know if it's like a monotone, or but he just has no idea what it's saying. It's almost like he's just phonetically sounding out the words. He has some line about, twice before and jump at this dead hour, hath he with Marshall Stock walked by our watch. Like, it's like he has no idea what he's saying. Uh, and it's kind of adorable. But So I don't necessarily think that Hamlet's a great movie, but that kind of thing where you really like an actor, you really like the movie, and you think they've done a bad job. Any questions? Uh, did Tom Cruise play Lincoln, or am I thinking of something else? Uh, I don't know. There's some Lincoln. There's a Lincoln biopic coming out, and there's a Lincoln vampire movie coming out. So Lincoln is very hot now of days. <laughs> Wait, I thought the vampire one was the biopic, and it was another one. Uh, I cannot wait to see uh, Daniel Day-Lewis play Lincoln. I can't wait to see uh, Daniel Day-Lewis do anything, but uh, Daniel Day-Lewis playing Lincoln, even though it's a freaking Steven Spielberg movie, I'm totally psyched to see that. He uh, had to learn uh, fake horseback riding to shoot the Boris Karloff biopic. That's a good one, Kelly. One weeks. Very good. Uh, all right, so next week, let's uh, do that three by three, and let's also see secrets. Is it secret, or is it one secret, or is it multiple secrets? Do we know? The single just one secret. Oh, there's only one oh, secret. Okay. The Unlike s- the Chamber of Secrets. Right. Under- this one only has one secret. Uh, the Secret of Arietti uh, from Studio Ghibli. Um, I don't know. Kelly Wand, have you seen any of the like Totoro movies or Spirited Away or any of those kind of things? Uh, I don't see movies that refer to states of mind. <laughs> Do you see Japanese animated movies? Yeah, all of them. Okay. Well, he's great. Whoever he is, he's awesome. He's the greatest ninja director since, um, what's his face? Kelly One, which is your favorite Totoro? Uh, the middle one. <laughs> and Lazenby. I think he was underrated. Uh, so People just weren't ready for a white bond. Join us next week. We'll have that level of discord of, about discourse about the secret of Ariete. That informative and enlightening discord. Uh, please like or no, uh, rate us on iTunes. Uh, like us on Facebook. There is a donate button on quarter to three if what? you are so inclined. Uh, we appreciate whatever support you can give us. Or you know what? Just tell your friends about us. Uh, and join us next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by. Uh, Christian um, McDonald. It's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. Guys, I heard this stone guy on the internet, and he was talking to other guys.
you enjoyed this means war, be sure to like war on Wikipedia.